0: Hi, listeners, and welcome to the first episode of Season 2, The Zone Podcast, with a very special guest, Kylie Sweat, who actually is based out of New York. We know each other through another very creative organization called Hyper Island. What's so interesting about Kylie's story is how do you get from, (laughs) from being a poet Uh, and an artist to working in one of the world's most prestigious and large organizations with over 120,000 people worldwide. What's that red thread that gets you to that level in the organization, yet you're still living your passion and living the dream of an artist? So this is a really cool podcast. It's going to be super interesting. I didn't know she was a professor as well. So (laughs) we're getting uh, a lot of bonus material here. So as usual, buckle up, Get your coffee, Take, put your headphones on, take a walk, get some blue light, listen to an amazing story about growth and change, and let's wonder where it's going to go next. Hey uh, Kylie, welcome to The Zone podcast, and I know we've already spent a good amount of time before we were on the podcast, just talking about life and and things in general. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. I really wanted just to start by giving orientated the listeners to what you do now, but you've had such an interesting journey that I probably think that most people would go, no, you can't get to working for one of the biggest companies in the world in such an important strategic role and start off where you started. So Tell us where you you know like where you started and how you got there, but also where are you right now in the world? Because I'm in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and it's it's winter, and I'm looking out. It's a beautiful sunny day, and it's yeah, blue sky, and I can see a beautiful tree. But where are you, and what's it like there right now?
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So I am in Brooklyn, New York. It is about 98 degrees. Uh, It's very hot. And I'm not looking at anything right now, but a wall Um, and your (laughs) lovely face. Here in New York for a decade now, on and off for maybe 20 years. And I am currently, to answer your question of what do I do now, I work at Oracle in their application sales, which is 4,000 people just within sales. And my role there is director of experience and enablement trying to build new processes, methodologies, products, tools uh, to our business, for our sales people to use, and for our customers uh, to be more human-centered and have a more service approach to the way that we're selling.
0: Wow. So that's huge because they, they, they're one of the biggest companies in the world. I think they have like 100, over 100,000 people worldwide, right?
1: Yeah. They have about 120,000 people. It's, it's very large.
0: Cool. And what's it like working in an organization like that? I mean, you know, from, I mean, you know, you're, you're a small cog in a big machine, I guess, but how does how does it, how does it feel?
1: So how it feels is a good question. And part of the reason why I took on this role was I had been working with a lot of large companies, you know, big hospitals, education agencies. But I had always worked as an independent contractor. So I would be able to go in and have these short lived experiences with a company, and kind Mm -hmm. of walk away with a perspective of I've done my job, they have what they need, they'll be great. And I kind of walk away. And this was an opportunity to do some of that work in a big, you know, this is a huge politically charged environment you know, when you're dealing with so many people and so many different roles and personalities. So I think it gave me an opportunity to see what this big bodied system would be like, and how change really does happen over a long period of time with so many stakeholders, so many, you know, customers and things that we deal with. So it was a good opportunity, I think, to look at that. And how I currently feel about that, because now I've been here about five years has been that it's always, there's never a moment where I'm not learning something. There's just too many people to be engaging with. And I have the opportunity to really be one of few people that do what I do. So I do get brought into a lot of different kinds of opportunities and with a lot of different stakeholders and people you know, looking to make changes within the ways they're working with their teams, for example. So it's a good opportunity to constantly learn from the people in the organization where there are gaps and challenges and, you know, how a system can go from, you know, 120,000 people and work efficiently. So there's many things that, I mean, work very systematically there. And I'm very impressed. I, you know, I, I did not start a company this large. I don't have that experience under my belt. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are, that people struggle with. There's a lot of silos, but I think it's an opportunity for me. It has been at least to reflect on like how a society gets built. Like how do how do we go from like a town to a city, to a country, to a nation? This organization is across the entire world and how we work in my small team is one experience that I have. But as I work with different teams, they're very unique moments that I get to interact and kind of learn. But it's I'd say going back to what I said before, the experience is that you know there's never, there's an endless array of problems to solve and that's both exciting and challenging. Um, at times it's very frustrating and feels like it, you know, what am I doing and where is it going? And what does this mean? Like long-term is at the end, it's just these sort of iterative cycles of change, but every year, and maybe it's a new methodology or sort of a new leader. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's constant change and influx of people and people leaving and sort of very transient in that way. It's like probably the city that I live in. It's very similar. It's like, I'm working in a, version of New York. Exciting, siloed, <laughs> chaotic, fun, and a lot unknown.
0: Mm, oh, that's, that's amazing. I know that you didn't start in this field. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how you actually started this whole, well, I, I don't know whether it's a career <laughs> Or or not, or what's the red thread that comes through? But let's try and find that. But where did you start?
1: So I actually started in writing uh, my trades um, during college and out of college was focused mainly in poetry and performing arts. So I launched a company that's still in existence today called, it's going to be in Spanish, but it's Procibulo Poetico. And that is in uh, Barcelona and I work on the board of the Poetry Society in New York here. And a lot of my time and heart have gone into those areas of work, but about 15, 20, 15 years ago, I decided to make a change um, into more teaching, uh, learning and development type roles. And I had the good fortune of meeting the right people at the right time, which I think one thing my father had told me as a small child was, you know, it's not, what you know that gets you the opportunities it's who you know Uh, it's what you know that keeps you there so i think one thing i've always thought is trying to you know know as many people and have as many experiences as i can because that has been a big influence of getting me where i have you know, come to find myself today. A lot of the people have helped to guide me. So that's one red thread. Another one has just been, I think, poetry. While you know, it's quite abstract. to think how poetry lands me a job as an experience designer and, you know, facilitator. That experience with poetry allowed me to find flexibility in kind of what I do and really be fearless um, around getting things wrong or you know, trying new things. So I've really kind of the core foundation of who I am has been built on creative practices, shown me areas um, of my professional life, you know, looking specifically to education, training, and coaching um, as being areas that I've sort of fallen into and I've taken poetry and changed that more into kind of mindset, behavior, and innovation practices and leveraging design and creative methods um, and tools to be able to help other people explore the work that they do and the way that they do things. That's kind of my winding road from poet to Oracle. <laughs> 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 Actually, ironically, I work with a lot of poets and writers. I'd say a big part of my team in consulting, were all poets. And I think uh, organizations thrive by bringing in, you know, we always say diverse perspectives, which I think is a term that can be overused, but looking at professionally, the diversity that people can hire creatives have a method and a process, whether they know it or they not, or or they don't. And a lot of that became what human centered design was. And now Mm -hmm. that term is really just going back to its roots of it's a, creative method we're just learning creative problem solving what better than to bring in other people that have spent their lives as painters as performers as writers because they have built so much of their time and energy on those foundations of experimentation
0: mm, so you're bringing you're bringing that to the corporate world and sort of in a way humanizing them
1: yeah i would say i feel sometimes like a lot of people at work tell me they were like oh it feels like we just got out of a therapy session or, you know, it feels like talking to you. You're like, I don't know, you could do ASMR on, on, on like YouTube and I laugh, but I think it's because I'm I'm like paying attention to more than just slides that are presented to me, but you know, to what people are saying to how things have been done and to challenge when I don't understand something. A lot of other people might not understand it. So how can we try and look at things and have more common understanding of what that is and start to chisel away at such a product-driven lens, for example, in in the case of Oracle?
0: So it's really uh, moving away from just the what and the tool into the how and the process that people go through, even using, engaging with that tool. Getting the most out of it and making sure that all of those tools are serving the human rather than the process than just the the tool, right? I know with a lot of companies that we work with, they put in these great processes, and and then that process all of a sudden becomes starts to drive the human rather than the human driving the process, and and then people get lost. So it's and pretty interesting.
1: I that's something I think I'm interested that you brought that up. That's a question I I ask myself a lot. Being in like such a big ecosystem, such as Oracle, there is a sense that people need to feel grounded. That is something innately human about a lot of us. We don't like feeling like we're floating through life. Some of us more than others are okay with that. So how do we balance is a question I'm asking myself a lot is how do we balance having a process, but being okay with kind of constant change and being more adaptable to that change and not so fixed in the way that we think about things, right? And continue to have a more of a growth mindset while also looking into our process as something that can mold to the present and future.
0: Yeah, well, it's sort of like talking about the difference between efficiency, which can be driven a lot by processes and effectiveness which is, you know, it could be efficient, but if it's, if it's, not, effect, if it's not effective, it's, it's not doing its job and serving the humans that it's, it's meant to serve. It may be efficient, but it's not effective. You know, I know from, again, from our work that humans love a big chunk of, of stability, <laughs> but they also really need uh, that diversity, that novelty, that change, but too much change is very disruptive if, if it's all at once how would you because I know that the other side of you that's that has a real real passion a real fire is is entrepreneurs and helping entrepreneurs and I'm and you were telling me about your writing your book which I want to make sure we plug at the end even though it's a year away I mean books you know every, everything takes time so how does how do you apply what you know what you do to help entrepreneurs and what does that look like
1: sure so I teach um, at the it's a college in Virginia. It's called the College of William and Mary. I actually do a an online model there, so I've been teaching for almost ten years there. I mainly work there with online MBA program. So people that are coming in either a lot of them have actually served um, in the army or navy, and they you know they're coming back looking to get their bachelor's and master's in business, and then I also work at Parsons School of Design in New York City, and for both of those, I really look at bringing in strategic design, sometimes referred to um, as human-centered design, but really the, the principles, methods, and tools from the designer toolkit and how that can support better problem solving. And for those that really want to start their own businesses, really great example would be the strategic design program at Parsons that are, you know, young entrepreneurs, many of them have, you know, design backgrounds or fashion backgrounds, and they're really looking to focus on issues and problems that are of of value and importance to them. And so they want to learn how to launch their own companies. So we take them through a couple of different modules where they really learn how to be better leaders, work in in more diverse initiatives. Um, They get real life experience with customers and solving challenges that customers have, and they bring those, you know, to the program. And then they walk out with you know, a really good basis for the the companies that they're going to go out and launch. I think being able to work with people who have so many goals and and kind of vision for the future and they really want to reinvent the way things are done and, and just learn how to build more sustainable, really ethical and creative businesses and then to apply... All the things that i'm you know doing in some of these roles as a teacher and and at oracle to apply the structure and frameworks um, and the creative tools to actually help launch their businesses and they teach me because you know i've i've been out of school for quite some time and to just understand you know where they're coming from where their mindsets are It's a really good opportunity to see what kinds of businesses and interests are at these different generations that are coming through the program and I've been doing that for a while and so the director of the Parsons program and a couple of other professors some from the Institute for the Futures we the four of us Rhea, Rose and Joseph they're my co-authors have written a book Um, It's called a Design Driven Guide for Entrepreneurs. It's all about strategies for starting up in in a multiverse. And that is gonna come out in a year. And I think that's gonna be an opportunity for people to approach that as either an entrepreneur or those that are even entrepreneurial in their organizations and just get really tactical tools and methods and strategies in a very visually compelling and storytelling kind of way. Opportunities to see how other businesses have done that, have started ethical businesses, you know, been very creative in their problem solving. And then, you know, coming from that to like, here's a tool, like mark up your book and draw on it. And then some of the things that we're hoping would launch out of that. So maybe, you know, we start our own business from there of doing workshops and things specific from, you know, what we've shared in in our content, but it's exciting. It's finally feels like I've come full circle. I started writing, I got into this world and now I'm writing a book on the thing that I've been doing. And it's nice to have taken such a creative role in just being, you know, this poet that was, I didn't care about money or success. I just wanted to like be free and roam to being more realistic you know, how do I support my family, but finding a way to both love what I'm doing and constantly learn and still be able to be weird and creative and do these kind of fun things. So it's a really nice kind of bookend to this chapter of my life, who knows what the next phase is, but hopefully continuing to work with people in um, more like intimate settings, not 50,000 people in a meeting.
0: (laughs) that's fantastic I mean so a lot of the people that might be listening might be saying what the hell is human-centered or strategic design and what's all this facilitation language I mean so what's the what's and this may be putting you on the, on the spot because yeah. there's a whole book about it so yeah. how do you how do you what's the elevator pitch on uh, you know strategic design or human-centered design and why does facilitation play an important part and
1: i would actually say that i i don't think as human beings we should get less caught up in the terminologies of things um a lot of it is so much about it is an experience so i think a lot of times how we label experiences is is challenging so we have these words like human-centered design or strategic design at the simple, at the kind of core, the way that I view this is it is all based on a creative process. And as a creative person myself, I, I just had to write, or I just had to perform. And there was a compelling feeling within myself to do those things. And it was the thing that, you know, filled my cup when, when it was done, but I never knew that I had a process to the way that I did things until I started teaching a lot of these things called human centered design or strategic design. And I started making connections that this was actually the journey of me as a creative person, how I thought of an idea, how I, you know, formed the idea, how I brought that idea to the world and how I continued to refine that idea. And so for me, all of these terms mean the same thing, which is just, it's creative practices so whatever creativity means to those listening to me that is built on something we experience and we feel and so these are strategies and frameworks and things for us to get into that mindset of feeling and being embodied and practicing you know things that allow us to challenge like the status quo of how we do things and really look at everything from a human perspective, like, and not just human perspective, but you know, an environmental perspective, because if there's no world, there are no people in it. So how do we build things that actually help our people our planet or animals? And I think it's, so it's actually not even just human centered design anymore. So I think these are the things that I would say long-windedly are the answer to your question of what are those things say ultimately it's creative practices that help us hopefully become better people and and do better for ourselves and others and and the planet
0: what's an what's an example of something that that a listener you know if they felt hey i'm not super creative i'm not a poet i'm not an artist i'm not a i I can't play a musical instrument i've got three left feet how can you help the listener go? Oh, this is this is something that I can do that can help unlock creativity, or it's a creative process. Is it journaling? Is it what is what is it?
1: So usually I ask the question to people. This is a common question. Or people say I'm not creative. Actually, we're all creative. I mean, we're it's just built in our body. So I would say, for example, what's something that like how do you get your best ideas? So for anybody listening to this podcast, I would ask for them to just reflect for a moment on when they feel like they they do their best or come up with the best ideas. And a lot of times responses could be taking a shower, going for a walk. It's usually not, I'm sitting in front of an Excel spreadsheet for six hours straight, right? <laughs> if it's one creative practice that I, I personally am challenging myself with, and I will say that I don't have a routine. I, I don't always do the same thing every day for years. I have to switch things up. But one thing I challenge myself with every day is to try to write one page of anything, whatever comes to my head. And I do that while I'm drinking my cup of coffee with my seven-year-old running around. And uh-huh. sometimes I get to five sentences and that's, that's it. I've also recently started doing dance classes. I think it's, for me personally, it's like getting out of what I know. And then when I find something sticks, then I continue cultivating and crafting that. A good friend of mine got into pottery. It could be anything. I think it's just, it's really individual and it can be quite simple. I think when people think it has to be like building this big thing and going out and launching it and painting a picture it can be very personal it doesn't even have to be shared it can just be five minutes of meditation just something that digs us out of our head and into our body
0: right so that's the secret getting out of your head and into your body that's pretty interesting because you know i'm a i'm a big advocate of flow I've been teaching about flow or being in the zone for many years and one of the elements of flow is when you're in that struggle you don't stay in the struggle like you don't stay sitting in front of that excel spreadsheet for six hours you and do something different right you interact with people or you go for a walk or you know you do whatever it is that you do you you write you've got to do something different because in doing that you you switch off the prefrontal cortex which is the thinking brain the ceo area and you get into your other areas of the brain the other networks turn on all of a sudden all your you know all your creativity and you know the pattern recognition system kicks in and you start seeing connections where you never saw them before and and yeah. that's that's part of what we do in group flow and group facilitation which is which is amazing so what is the is the uh the future do you think for for you i know that's a big that's a big question and i i know you said hey i'd love to be teaching or working with entrepreneurs so do you see that becoming a bigger part of your life
1: yeah I, um Well, I actually just started embarking on uh, a coaching training program. I think Uh I'd love to work with full and more more intimate ways, more individual than I'm doing now. I feel like I'm a bit on a factory line, at least with Mm. my work. And it's great. I I do love it. And I have a lot of um, great experience there. But exploring, like, you know, thinking about, like, when I'm in my 50s and 60s, which I'm approaching is like what can i do that feels comfortable for me um that allows and affords me the flexibility for for travel and just being with the people that i love around me and that Mm -hmm. how can my job weave into that and so i believe that you know models like coaching which i'm exploring might allow me to do that better but i i think that's unknown i feel like this is where i'm at now i'm on a learning journey with this program, and I'm excited to sort of see where I end up. I feel like my future is usually, like, a year (laughs) out. Um, (laughs) I think I'm pretty comfortable with, like, sudden change and, and, like, seeing and being in, you know, I think I'm on a point of my life where maybe I am being informed by the future a little bit before I'm able to make the decision of what's next for me
0: yeah yeah D- did you find that the reboot program helped you with that sort of thinking as well or
1: Absolutely. It was the first time I actually stopped and gave myself the space to think about what were my values. and I think I got out of the headspace of you know being a creative, I have a lot of pressure on myself to do that creative thing that maybe some people, aren't aren't as familiar with but for those that are um, like if I don't write or if I didn't do this then I'm feeling very stuck so it allowed me to start to reframe and think about what are the things that bring me creativity and Mm. I I learned a lot about refocusing the priorities that I have and starting to like let go of the things that I was obsessing about a bit so I thought it was an opportunity to do that and I, I benefited from
0: it a lot. Ah oh, that's great. We're coming to the to the last minute that I know you have to go and and get on with your day. So a couple of questions. What what can you leave what, what's a piece of value that you could leave an insight or a thought about life that you could leave the listeners with? Maybe you talk about or say to yourself but are also able to share. So I'm asking you to be a bit vulnerable here. Then tell us how people can get in touch with you, when's the book coming out? Has it got a name yet?
1: <laughs> yeah. So the first one, I don't know. The first thing that actually came to mind when you started asking me this question. So this is my unfiltered response. Maybe if I reflect on this as I go to sleep, I'll be like, oh, I should have said this. But I notice a lot how fearful people can, can sometimes be, especially in, in this corporate world that I'm in, just to ask questions. So I think a big thing for me is to not be afraid, to, to sort of challenge the things that w- you might be hearing or seeing and not to be afraid to ask questions. Questions are the most powerful weapon I think we have in order for us to understand how we want to, you know, make or inform the decisions that we wanna make. And they also put us in positions of power um, by allowing us to, to be vulnerable And to, if I would say, if you have a challenge, if you have a question, most likely somebody else in that room has the same question. So you're taking the authority to ask it on behalf of others. So it's simple. It's probably not the most mind blowing response, but I would say just ask questions because the more you ask questions, the more you might find opportunities to solve and connect truer to your deeper self as to what you want to be doing um or focusing on in your life. And it could lead you to start your own business. Good Mm. good questions, find gaps and opportunities to start great businesses. And then Oh, what a
0: great quote. Mm.
1: Quote it will put it in my novel. (laughs) My next
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah. So and then the book will be out. Um it's published by Rutledge. And it'll be out in about a year timeframe. And it's called A Design-Driven Guide for Entrepreneurs, Strategies for Starting Up in a Multiverse.
0: Wow. I love it. The multiverse element. Okay. All right. And now how do people get in touch with you finally?
1: Uh, Super easy. I'm on some of, not all of the social media channels. I have an email, (laughs) um, kylie.sweat.com at gmail.com. Also, yep. even just Google searching Kylie Sweat. I have a website. You can reach out to me there. But I think... Um,
0: LinkedIn too, yeah, I LinkedIn, guess.
1: I'm on the mall. Instagram. I don't really pay that much attention. And that's about as far as I go. I don't do all the others. <laughs> you won't
0: see yeah, me. Yeah, now it's Kylie, <laughs> K-I-E-L-Y-S-W-E-A-T-T. So that's right. how you can find her. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, thank you very much. This has been amazing. And uh, I'd love to do uh, a follow-up Once you've you've launched your book, because I want that book. Yeah, (laughs) I love it. it.
1: You get a copy just for
0: this. (laughs) Uh, Thanks. Thanks. All right. Uh, Well, ciao for now.
1: Yeah, sounds good.
0: Thanks very much for listening to another episode of The Zone podcast. I hope you uh, enjoyed it had a little bit of fun, learned something new, and maybe it inspired you to do your own podcast or to join us on a podcast. Whatever it is, I hope it added some value. And as always, if you want to reach out to us here at The Zone, look us up at www.thezone.co.co, or you can contact me via LinkedIn on Liam Ford. Enjoy your week and look forward to seeing you again on another Zone podcast soon.